Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Rule the World, the ultimate power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. I'm your host, Paul Furlong. Just a quick reminder that my book, Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence and Succeed, is now available. You can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops, including Amazon and Kindle, Waterstones and WH Smith in the UK, Barnes and Noble in the US, and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world. Anyway, without further ado... Today's guest is Debbie Owen, a Royal Television Society award-winning TV, film, and theatre scriptwriter whose credits include Casualty, The Bill, and Obsession. She is also one-third of Try Hard Productions, a North East Film Production Company. Deb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm not so bad, thank you. Excellent. So I've given you a little bit of an introduction there, so uh, why don't you uh, expand on that a little bit and tell us a little bit more about you and your work? Well, my my life as a writer uh, began with an MA in television script writing, which I did at De Montfort University in Leicester. That course no longer exists, unfortunately, um, probably because every week we had a guest speaker from inside the TV industry, and it was phenomenal. Um, producers, writers, actors, you know, came to speak to us every week for two years, um, which I'm sure makes for a very expensive course um and it wasn't sustainable but those guest speakers are people that I'm still in touch with now um amazing amazing people that I would never have had access to if it wasn't for that course 
Um, and a lot of them have been instrumental in, in sort of my, my journey since then. The first thing I wrote for was the bill, um, which was fabulous, an amazing experience to start with, um, to start my career with. Um, second show I wrote for was, was Casualty. That's the one I write for now. Um, with, with, with the bill, I was offered my second episode about eight months before the, the programme was binned unfortunately so um I had a bit of a lull in my career at that point because I hadn't established uh any kind of a portfolio um and and the one show that I was comfortable on vanished from the screen but that's the nature of of this business so it was a few years between the bill and casualty but um but yeah now I write for casualty um I've been doing that for about five years and I absolutely love it I just love it. I love the process. Um, it's stressy sometimes, but I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I just, I, I absolutely love it. And those are the two shows that I've always wanted to write for because those are the two shows that I've always grown up with. They're sort of, you know, they were 28 and Bill was 28 years old and Casualty is now 34 years old. So yeah, living the dream, Paul. And you have a, you have a medical background as well, don't you? I guess that must help with your you're right, casualty. I do, yeah. I, I was a psychiatric nurse in a secure unit for nine years, and I nursed. I nursed for fifteen years in total, doing, ver- doing in various sectors. So, psychiatric nursing is not quite the same, but but yeah, the the thing that it, it it gives me, I think, that perhaps other writers don't have, is the knowledge of how nurses and how those the emergency services basically work together. Um, there's a lot of black humour gets the emergency services through the day, um, certainly in the hospital environment, certainly in, in, in an ED. Um, and so that, that helps understanding, you know, how to communicate with patients, how to, um, how to relay bad news in a nice way, in the nicest possible way, um, how to be professional and friendly, all that, that kind of balancing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it certainly helps with the characters. Yeah. So this is a, a podcast about storytelling predominantly. So could you give us a definition of story or your definition of story? Well, in the simplest terms, it, 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 it's an account of events normally from one person's perspective. Um, and that takes a quite a prescriptive shape, um, which, I guess we call the three act structure, although it can equally be a five act structure and, and there's, there's lots and lots of other structures, but um, fundamentally it's a, it's a three act structure, which is set up confrontation and resolution, um, beginning, middle and end, you know, and that's, that's how we, that's how we learn how to listen to stories as kids, bed, bedtime stories, fairy tales, everything, Peppa Pig, that they have these little three-act structures. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and because that's how we learn fundamentally how to uh, react to a story as a viewer, that is how we as the writers structure them because it's a language that, that is understood from a very, very early age. Um, um, there are other elements, of course. It's not quite as simple as beginning, middle, and end. We've also got you know, the antagonist and their motivations, heroes, character flaws, inciting incidents, 
obstacles to overcome, lessons to be learnt, blah blah blah. Um, but but fundamentally, it's this it's this three act structure. Um, and I think once we understand that three act structure, we can then mess about with it. And something like Pulp Fiction is an easy example of that. Um, Obsession, actually, the short film that that, that I did was was structurally was it was the inciting incident to the end of act one played backwards so it was a, it was a vignette of of story i guess and it was it was just a moment in time of this specific character's life um and then we reversed the play in order of it all so that so that it played backwards to the inciting incident but i think so you, you can you can mess about with story um but you have to understand it structurally in order to then respectfully mess about with it um, because it obviously still has to make sense in the end. Um, but, but yeah, story, story has to centre around character m- more than anything. Um, if you haven't got a good character, you haven't got a good story, I don't think. And an awful lot of, well, everything you write is character-driven. Yeah. Um, so expand on that a little bit for me. Why, why is character so important to the story? Um, be, because the story is filtered through the character. Um, we, the audience, experience the story through them. Uh, and if the character does a bad job of communicating with the audience, then the audience will, will stop listening. Um, if the character doesn't connect, the audience will stop listening. <laughs> If the character is badly cast, the audience will stop listening. Um, we we have to engage. We, ha- we we the audience have to engage with the character in order to be willing to give up two hours of our lives, an hour of our lives to this to this story that we're being told. Um, if we don't want to listen, we won't. The audience is quite unforgiving, especially now because you know there's a million different things on at the same time. So. Um, it's not like we don't have choice. Um, so we absolutely must bond with the characters, whether we're supposed to love them or hate them. We we must engage with them. Um, and if we don't, we turn over. Have you got an example of a, a really good character, either that you've written or a, a character in kind of in popular film that you think has, has done a really good job? Either a, a villain or a or a hero that connects really well to take us through a story. I think it's been used as an example before in some talks that I've been, that I've been at, not not that I've given, but Indiana Jones is always used as a very very simple um, example of of an engaging character. Um, if that was, you know, Mister Bean going on that journey and, and asking us to engage with them on the level that, that Indiana Jones asks us to, we wouldn't believe it for a second. Um, so, you know, as, as a very clear example, <laughs> you know, Indiana Jones and, and Mr. Bean would, would be, Mr. Bean would be miscast. Um, so the character has just got to, he's got to do, he's, he's, they've got to um, aid the story. In, in the way that the story needs. They've got to hold that story up and in a believable way so that we can, we can go on that 
on that journey with them. Um, you know, Mr. Mr. Bean does his own films um, superbly because the, the reverse the reverse applies, of course. If uh, if Indiana Jones popped up in in a Mr. Bean film, that would equally not work. Um, but yeah, they've just the, the story and character have just got to be matched perfectly. Um, an example of something I've written, uh, I guess, writing for Casualty. You know, the the guest characters that I bring, they have to tell a story in. There's normally I can have six guest characters, but there's normally two or three main stories that I bring to an episode of Casualty. And I've got 50 minutes to tell three stories and three serial stories in a concise and complete way. Um, if my characters, if, you, if the audience doesn't engage with my characters in the first scene, then then I haven't got time. I haven't got time in an episode of Casualty to, to sort of work on them, you know, so that the, the audience has got to engage immediately. Otherwise, they're not going to care. Um, so, so yeah, you've, it, it's in everything, really. It's 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 genuinely in everything. You have to you have to hit the ground running with your characters, because especially in TV, because there's just no time to, unless you're writing a six part drama, you know, where you you have got the time to introduce your characters very gently. But if you're doing a, a standalone episode of a of a, of a long running series you know, one or two scenes and, and your audience have got to love your characters. They've got to care about your characters. So other than making sure that the character hits the ground running straight away and, and makes a, a big impression, what's your approach to writing these really engaging characters? Um, I think you've got to find an element that's recognisable to you as an individual. Um, and that, and that can be anything. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have experienced what you're asking your characters to experience because nine times out of 10, that won't be the case. But it's the emotion of it. You know, it's, if, if it's a story about loss, we, we've probably experienced that. If it's a story about frustration, we've probably experienced that. It's, you don't have to engage with them emotionally. Um, you won't be able to engage with them practically. Um, but, but you've got to find the heart of them. Um, and then, and then you can create believable, believable journeys. Um, you know, whether the setting is in outer space or in an ED department, they're all people. Um, and they all have these human elements to them that, that the audience must engage with. Um, but you do, you do have to use personal experiences um, and just write, I guess, in the most honest and heartfelt way that you can. Um, using as few words as you can, because if you have to over-explain your characters and what they're feeling, then you know you, you're not doing the job right. Um, so cons being concise is is incredibly important, and actually trust, trusting your actors to to depict the emotion without dialogue um, is is a lovely way of doing it. Um, I, I like that. I like having scenes with actually very little dialogue in them. You just leave it to the actors to um, really convey what you want your characters to be conveying. And so as well as um, kind of preparing and finding those, 
characters that's obviously a huge part of the story how else do you approach uh preparing your story obviously you you write your, your script there's a lot of preparation that goes in before writing your scripts out into onto the page or in, in, into your software what what does your preparation process look like for for telling your stories i actually spend a lot of time on prep i spend a lot of time researching what i need to do and then i I put I, I plot the story with post-it notes on my wall. Um, and then I find all the holes in the story. And then I do some more research. And then I do the whole post-it note thing again. And the post-it note thing just builds up and up. And, you know, my, my, my story, the story that's in my head can start off as 10 post-it notes. And then by the time I've got my episode of Casualty, for example, all plotted out, there'll be 80 post-it notes on there. And I'll know every what every second of screen time is going to look like. Um, but it's a slow process. The, 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 the build-up uh, to actually writing the script for me is a slow process because it's, it's got to be right. Um, I don't even start, I don't even sit down until, um, until maybe halfway through the process, really. Um, most of it is, is standing up with the post-its shuffling them round, making it work, making sure the character arcs are right. And when you've got all that, then you can start putting dialogue in. Um, and that way you don't get lost. You don't get lost in, in the episode. And also, if halfway through the process of actually writing, um, somebody says, I'd like, you to, I'd like you to do this instead of that, then you can make changes. And you can make them with the confidence of having this really solid structure underneath everything. Um, you can't make it up as you go because you, you will get lost. Um, and when there are more people involved in the process, like on a long running TV show, there's so many people involved in the process. Um, you, you, you just, there's no way you'd be able to do it unless you, you plotted every minute of screen time before you even start putting dialogue on the page. So yeah, the re the research phase is, is uh, is very lengthy and it, it 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 shifts and it continues throughout the whole process because especially with a show like casualty you know a medic might something might change medically halfway through uh something in in, in real life that, that impacts on what you what we see on screen and a medic could pop up halfway through the process and go we can't do this anymore because you know eds have changed we don't do this now we do that um and so changes in medical um, procedures have to, have to be reflected in the script. Um, and if you didn't have a rock-solid foundation, you wouldn't be able to shift your script in a very short space of time. You wouldn't be able to do that confidently unless you had the, the, the foundation really pinned down. So, yeah, the prep stage is so important. It's, it's not the most exciting part of the job, but it's incredibly, incredibly important. It's got to be done. So that gives you a, a solid foundation in terms of kind of the beats of the story and yeah. what's going to happen and the, yeah. the research elements of it. How much of that is is kind of visually in your mind? Um, it, it, it all is. Um, I mean, I, I always read my scripts out loud, and and there are some sometimes I'll, I'll you know I'll jump about the room and. I'll get it on its feet and and um and sort of time things and 
and really and really play them out and make sure that they work and make sure that they're believable. Um, I do visualize what's going to happen on screen, but I have to remember that 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 bit actually isn't my job, you know. So I'm not precious about it. Um, but what I do do is I'm quite I'm I, I do put it on the page quite precisely what I want, so that when the director picks it up. If if any changes are made from um, by by them, um, it, they know what I want. They know they know my purpose. They know my intentions. And if they know my intentions, then any changes they make actually end up enhancing what what I what what's in my mind, um, and not taking it off on a big tangent that I never predicted or never wanted. So as long as I'm certain on the page visually what I what I what my intentions are that's what it's about really it's about my intentions um then then the director will sort of be respectful of those um but it's you know on 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 most tv shows we, we chat the writers chat with the director and the producers um at, at quite an early stage so we know that everyone's on the same page um which is great because, you know, the, it, it's very hard as a writer for TV. You get to the point where actually you hand your scripts over and you walk away. And the next time you see it is on screen. So you have to be certain that your director is on the same page as you and chatting to them from drafts sort of three and four, there's six drafts in total. Chatting to your director early on is, is just massively, massively useful. It's great. Must be very exciting when it when you finally see it on screen. It is, yeah, it is, and and you know the process clearly works because I, I've never yet had anything on screen where I've thought, what have they done with it? You know, you know, and and most of the time, nine times out of ten, if the director does something that I that wasn't on the page, I think, oh, that's great. They've done something that's that clearly enhances and, and is better than anything I had in my mind that's their job you know their job is to is to make my script better um my, my job is to is to make sure they can't take it off on a tangent that I don't want and the only way that they can go really is up um you know that's that's it's kind of my job to box them in I suppose with a script that's that's solid enough for them not to want to shift too much um but I love the process. I love the. Pro- I love it when the director comes on board and, and and builds and just brings things that I would never have thought of in a million years. And the actors do the same, and it's it's exciting. It's exciting to see what people do with the work that you sort of spend three months three months creating. It's very exciting. So you mentioned that the the director comes on around about draft three or four. Yeah, and you've got six drafts in total. Um, but you also work with obviously your producers, and you've got a script editor that that you work with going backwards and forwards. What does that process look like, and how does that uh, kind of enhance the story and 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 build on what you've already worked on uh, from draft one? There could be ten, twenty odd people working in the background at because uh, because there's medics as well on casualty. I mean, each script has got. Um, uh, an ED doctor, uh, a nurse, 
um, and a paramedic and also an onset medic um, involved because the onset medic has got different information. Like they know that they'll be privy to the locations and stuff. So they'll know if something's in the script that physically just can't be done because of the location, they'll, they'll know and they'll feedback as well. So there's loads of people uh, that, that are going to have, have, have something to say about my script. So, but I only liaise with two people. I liaise with my script editor who filters all the editorial notes through to me and my researcher who filters all the practical notes, like the medical notes. And if, if, if I come up with a medical condition that actually needs an expert, then my researcher liaises with them as well. So everything's filtered through two people. So by the time the notes get to me, they can come from 20 people, but they come to me through two. And they're very clear and they've already been filtered and all the questions have already been raised. And if there's contradictory notes, the script editor has already said, I can't give both of these notes to Debbie because they're opposites. Um, you know, and, and it's already been ironed out, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes stuff hasn't, but nine times out of 10, it's already been ironed out. So the notes I get are very clear, very detailed. Um, if they don't make sense, I can just liaise back. My script editor is available to me all the time. Um, bearing in mind that a script editor will be working on three or four different episodes at once. So I have to be slightly patient sometimes um, if, if they're working on a script that's further down the line than mine, then, I, then you know, it's got a TX date pending, then I'll have to wait. But it's never more than a day or two. Um, but it's it's a it's a really smooth process considering the number of people that my script editor has to juggle and has to please and has to listen to you know it's um it's a it's a really smooth process um and like i say if i've got any questions at all i just bounce them back and if i want to talk directly to my director or my producer i can um uh, and yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a great process. It's, it's all geared towards making the script as good as it can be and the episode as good as it can be and, and to making my life as easy as it can be really. Um, so, so yeah, I think having a script editor at the end of a phone all the time is just makes it, um, as, as smooth as it can be. And do you, do you enjoy receiving the feedback? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. And I do like other people's opinions on my script. It's the only time it gets frustrating is when is when a note comes from um it's not the wrong place, but it's a place of maybe finance or it's a place of um I don't know, it's it, if it's a place of caution maybe, so it's a case of well we can't quite do this because we might be treading on toes and we might be, we might be saying something that that's a bit too controversial or something along those lines. But most notes are, are for the good of the story and for the good of the show. And so, and, but also most notes, even if I get a note that I don't agree with, it, it comes from somewhere. So I always go back to that bit in the script and I think I'm not going to make the change because I don't agree with the note, but I go and find out why the note has occurred. And, and nine times out of 10, you can, you can look at that moment in the script and you can think, I understand why 
why the, why the note has come. And you can probably, you can shift something else so that you're kind of, you, you're kind of a- addressing the note without, without sort of implementing the change really. Um, cause it will, co- it will come from, from somewhere relevant. Um, so yeah, I, I, no notes should be ignored. They, they should always be, you should always go back to that moment in the script and kind of go, yeah, why has this person said that? You know, why, why does my producer not want me to do this or not want me to do that? There'll always be a reason. And if you can find that, then you can just iron out the lumps, lumps and bumps and, and you can, you can, you can um, find the middle ground really between the note and between the story that you want to tell. Um, but some, sometimes you get notes that are, that are purely practical and, and actually, you know, maybe, maybe you've requested a location that just can't be found. Um, or maybe you've requested two locations that are just so far apart geographically that it can't be filmed and one of them has to be binned. Notes like that are, are frustrating <laughs> because they're not, car- not story-driven. They're, they're outside influences but they're absolutely necessary to, to address. You have to address them. So, so you just do it. Um, but yeah, nine times out of 10, I love getting, I love getting notes off people because they're, they're progressive. Um, and they and they enhance the story. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And um, I imagine working on something like Casualty, where you've got this whole number of serial stories that have been in the episode before, they're going to continue in the episode after, and maybe some of them have been going on, you say 35 years Casualty has been going, so <laughs> some of them may have been going for, for years and years and years. And your episode has to fit in to these ongoing stories as well as bringing in these, these up to six guest characters. That's right, yeah. Uh, how... How much fun is it or how tricky is it or how do you feel about, how do you work out how to fit your story into these ongoing stories and how does it work to get the, to make sure that your, the, the kind of the serial character's story progresses? Well, I mean, there are certain elements to writing a serial drama where you've got some aspects of story are these immovable objects that you, that you you can't mess with. Um, so if in my episode of Casualty, for example, I'm told that the character of Charlie has to start here 
at the beginning of the episode, he's he's here, and at the end of the episode, he's here. And those 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 points can't move. Those points in his character's journey can't move because um, if he's got a story arc that's going over thirty episodes, then my episode obviously has to make sense within that context. So I'll be I'll be told very rigidly this this is charlie's emotional journey as far as the serial's concerned in this episode so my story of the day has to has to aid that it has to enhance that it has to resonate with that um and 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 it's because because i get all that information up front all these all these points of these points that can't possibly shift because i understand the structure that i'm writing into um, it's okay. It's my it's my job to find stories of the day that that um, that support and resonate with the characters that I'm allowed to use in that episode and and their serial story arcs. You know the point the point they're at in those serial story arcs. Um, and there'll be a theme. You know, if the theme is roughly about marriage and infidelity then you know it it's great if my guest stories reflect that theme as well because it's more likely of course to resonate with the with the the regular characters um because although although the stories of the day have got to be solid and have got to be um well received and have got to be strong and, and almost standalone um it, it's the regular characters that people truly engage with um guest characters come and go um but but the 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 regulars are the ones that the the diehard fans love and they're the ones that, that the diehard fans tune in to to watch so um you've got to be very respectful of that and very respectful of of these big storylines that that can go for years as you say um they're so well plotted um, having said all that, if if I need something, if I do need something to shift a little bit because of the story I'm bringing, they're not averse to doing that as long as as long as it's doable. They'll always see if it's doable because it will have a knock-on effect for for uh, the the episode that comes before me and after me and and so on. Um, but yeah, if I bring something that you know, there's an element to the story that either that changes it from being a good story to being a great story. They'll they'll go right if we if we change if we shift the next five episodes a little bit, we can accommodate your story. So they'll always do. You know, they'll always try and be flexible. If if actually you bring a corker of a story that that they really want to they really want to make work. Um, um, but yeah, you've just got to be aware of the fact that you're in you're a teeny tiny part in a in a massive machine. You know, every, every episode has got a different writer, um, uh, and and you know there are so many people in the background who've who've created these story arcs that are very carefully constructed to last for a year, two years, six months, whatever. Um, so yeah. There's there's so much to consider that uh, you you've got to be respectful of everything that's going on around you, but you are given a very a very 
um, comprehensive structure of, of where the regular characters are emotionally in their, in their serial journeys and, and where you need to get them from and to. Um, so, yeah, as long as you stick to roughly that, you're all right. And you mentioned um, there about if you've got a real corker of a, a story to tell. Uh, I, I, I love all your episodes of, of Casualty. Um, I, I particularly love, love the, the most recent one that you did. Um, and I can always tell when I'm watching your episodes. I think I could put, if I didn't know it was your episode, I could still tell it was your episode. I think you've got a very definitive voice in the things that you write and, and the short films that you've done and the, uh, the, the projects that you're working on at the moment. I, can, I could tell that it was yours. So how do you find your voice when you're writing? Um. I don't recall a process. I don't recall the moment or a process of actually finding my writing voice. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is I don't know really. I think. I think I have got. I think every writer has to have their own voice, and that they, they they have to have that. Otherwise, it, it's all a bit of a mishmash. Um, but equally, you've you've got to be able to write. Obviously, for like with a serial uh, drama, you've got to be able to write for their characters and their format. Um, but I think you do have to bring your own your own special something. And I think just back, background creates your own voice. You know, like like I've got a background in nursing. Um, being a northern writer, I think it, it gives you a certain uh, tone, I suppose, certain humour. Um, so all the elements that, that go into making me as a person, I think go into making the voice with which I write. Um, I certainly don't ever recall there being a a, a conscious effort to write in a specific way. It just, it just kind of happens and it either works or it doesn't. Um, but, but yeah, how did I find my voice? I don't think, I don't think I did. I think it kind of found me, I suppose. And it was just, it was just there. Um, I guess it is something that you can learn. You can learn to have a unique take on, on the industry. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think it, it's just you. It's just you as a person. It's what makes it, what makes you the individual that you are, gives you the individual voice in your, in your writing as well. Um, yeah. Your experiences, your background. Are you aware of your voice? Um, I think I'm aware of that. Th- there's a northernness to to my writing. I think there's a. Um, I think some of the dialogue sometimes is it, it, I, I create is quite simple. It's quite it's very honest. It has a it has a fluidity to it. I suppose I don't over edit um, my dialogue until until much 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 later on because by, by not editing invariably my dialogue is actually too long I actually write too much so I so I cut it back but I don't edit my dialogue but in with the purpose of making it neater um I think sometimes some writers may sound over edited um but I think if you write, a, you know, we don't we don't talk in neat sentences. We talk in clumsy sentences, 
with ums and ahs and spaces and and I think all that should be on the page. Um, and I do, I do make a point of of putting those moments on the page, those moments of thinking, I suppose. Um, colloquialisms from your characters should should be on the page. Um, yeah, I don't I don't edit to make my work sound neat and tidy. If sentences are, are, are clunky and clumsy, that's great, I think, because that reflects the mood of the character. Um, but I don't know. I don't know really. I do. I do think there's a northernness to my to my voice because I I've been told it. <laughs> I've been told it by southern producers that I'm that I have a northern tone to my writing. Um, not entirely sure what that is, but I think I think it's to do with. Um, I do. Th- I do think it's to do with the ease, the ease of the dialogue, and the yeah, the sort of it's a bit rough around the edges. But I think I think it should be because that's how we talk. Well, I hope you own that and uh, <laughs> and, and keep doing it because it's great. Copywritten it, yes. Well, Deb, um, <laughs> thanks very much for for sharing all of that with us. That's been that's been brilliant. As always, uh, before you go, I'd love to ask you a couple of quick fire questions, if that's Okay, so um, do you mind who is the greatest storyteller of all time and why? Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know is the answer. Um, I think this is very tricky because there are such there's such a diverse discipline of uh, such a diverse um, range of disciplines within TV and film. Um, unique voices. I mean, directors. You know, someone like Hitchcock, for example, is instantly recognizable great storytellers for me are writers who writers and directors and and people who understand themselves and who deliver what they want to deliver and you know that this is why the likes of Roald Dahl, Agatha Christie, you know Stephen King, Linda LaPlante they're all very very recognizable writers love them or hate them and they're very diverse they're not you know that 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 they're very, very diverse in audience and in style, but they all know and understand, I think, their role within this industry. And, and that's a great storyteller for me. Um, you know, there, there are certain writers who write for TV shows that you, you turn a TV show on and you can watch 10 minutes of it in the middle of the TV show and you kind of go, oh, that's, that's Jimmy McGovern or that's Russell T. Davis or that's Sally Wainwright, that's Charlie Brooker. You know, these are people who know their role in this industry um, and they do what they want to do and they do what they love doing. And they invariably, by doing that and by being that honest, they invariably deliver brilliantly. Um, they're not trying to be all things to all people. They are, they might have a very specific audience, um, but they excel for that audience that to me is a great storyteller. People like that, um, and that can be writers or directors. But it's it's not a it's not a specific thing. It's about honesty, I think, as as a writer. Because the second you start lying and start being someone that you're not, people turn off because they 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 spot it a mile away. You've just got to do what you want to do, and you've got to do what you're good at, um, and what you absolutely love doing. You know, otherwise it it, it doesn't work. That's a great answer. And um, can you recommend any good books or websites, blogs, podcasts on storytelling? 
Um, my honest answer to that, to my shame, is no. Um, I used to, when I started out, I used to know all of these things uh, and, and I don't really anymore. And it's a great thing in the sense that it's because I don't have time because now I'm actually working. <laughs> I'm actually writing now. So I don't have time. I can't remember the last time I, I, I listened I listened to anything about, you know, the art of writing or read anything about the art of writing. Um, and it's not because I don't think there's anything left to learn. It's because I'm actually learning on the job now. I learn every day. Um, but I learn from doing now rather than from books and stuff. Um, so I'm very, very out of touch with this sort of thing. And I shouldn't be, I guess, but, but I am. Okay. So that, Thank you for your honesty. Sorry about that. And um, where can we find out more about you? Uh, do you have a website? Are you on social media? Where, where will we find you? Where, how can we get in touch? Okay. Well, I've got a, I've got a, it's not really a website. It's more like a whole, it's a one page holding page, but my contact details are on there. And it's just um, debbieowen.co.uk. Um, yeah. So there's not a lot on there, but, but this it's quotes actually. It's quotes from people I've worked with. Cause I always think I never know what to say about myself. So I leave it to other people to say things. So there's a few nice quotes on there. Um, but that's, that's got my contact details on my IMDB page is got my work on. Um, I haven't really got a presence on, tw- on social media. Unfortunately, I, I listen on Twitter, but I don't really contribute um, but I do listen because it's quite it's quite industry savvy Twitter um, so yeah my website and my IMDB page are probably the most um, informative pages brilliant well Dad once again thank you very much for taking the time to share your knowledge experience and wisdom with us today and um, I look forward to chatting with you again soon cheers and you Just a quick reminder that my book, Rule the World, Master the Power of Storytelling to Inspire, Influence and Succeed, is now available. You can get hold of your copy in all good bookshops, including Amazon and Kindle, Waterstones and WH Smith in the UK, Barnes and Noble in the US, and all good bookshops throughout the rest of the world. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Rule the World. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you, and see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 